Zerk Goldberg. He said, I loved working with Joe. He and I both have a huge appreciation for the Warner's cartoons, and hopefully that shows in the final product. That's like working with old friends, working with characters who we grew up with. That's always fun, and I had a great crew working on it. So it's the kind of thing where it was challenging, it was pressurized, and we had a million different producers, none of whom could agree on what the content of the film should be. But the actual creation of the animation itself, that was fun, and I know that Joe enjoyed it as well. Are you ready, eager young space cadet? Meep, meep. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello and welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today is fellow Looney Tunes aficionado and just overall fan of the franchise, journalist, and the managing editor of ComingSoon.net, Max Every. Max, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Jonathan. Great to be here. It's great to have you. I cannot wait to discuss Looney Tunes back in action with you. That's what brings us here today. We are going to the dive despicable deep. money loser. Yes. For Warner Brothers. <laughs> Unfortunately so, because it had so many of the right components uh, for the time. You had Joe Dante directing this, and I feel it was in his wheelhouse. It was in Warner Brothers' wheelhouse to reinvigorate the franchise at this time. 2003 is whenever it came out. And yeah, we're going to dive deep into that. But first, let's get to know our guest, Max First of all, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I uh, uh, I, I, I didn't uh, I didn't sleep very much last night. <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, I I'm you know currently uh, you know just you know trying to uh, figure out how to uh, run a movie website when there are new movies coming out. It's been an interesting year. Oh, for sure. Um, but uh, you know we're we're doing okay. You know, like you know we luckily we we cover a wide gamut of stuff at this at coming soon.net you know we cover video games we cover television streaming and um excellent all, you know toys all that stuff so yeah you know we're, we're just uh you know do, we're doing the best we can along with everybody else it's it's funny because it's kind of leveled the playing field <laughs> to a certain extent with like all of our you know sort of competitor sites because it's like you know it's it's it, 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 it we're not doing that uh uh what's what's that called fomo Oh, FOMO, yes. We, 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 there's not a lot of FOMO going around right now. What was the last movie? It's not you like, made? oh, we didn't get invited to that thing. There's no thing. Nobody's getting invited to anything. What was the last movie you saw in the theater? The last movie I saw in the theater was, uh, funnily enough, um, Quiet Place 2. Oh, wow. I didn't even know Which that is was. a movie that actually never came out. Oh, okay. So it, it never played in the theater. It was just uh, for exclusive press screening. Yeah, I, I I saw the press screening. I went to the premiere with you know Emily Blunt and and everybody and and wow. and and yeah and that, and and it just it just never came out. You know, it, it was funny that one and Mulan were sort of screening for press around the same time in March, and then of course uh, you know I guess M Mulan got shifted to Disney Plus, and yes. I think uh, Quiet Place got shifted to sometime next year. Um, but yeah. It's 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 been a, it's been a very surreal uh, time to uh, you know be covering the movie business and made yeah um, 
you know, but, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, hopefully, uh, the, uh, the, the super plague will, uh, <laughs> will recede. Exactly. Well, talking about the process of getting movies made, we have a little bit of that in the Looney Tunes back in action film where they reveal the back curtain of what goes on in a production, if you will. And that's what we're here to what we're going to be discussing. Uh, what is your history with this movie and why do you like it so much? Well, uh, it, it's funny. Like, I mean, I, obviously I grew up with the Looney Tunes cartoons and, you know, uh, especially the older ones. Um, I guess that would have been like, like what, like the Frizz Freeling era. Yes. And Chuck Jones yeah. and Michael Maltese. Yeah. yeah. And everybody. Yeah. So like, yeah, I was very familiar with those. Um, but I got, I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm definitely not on your level of <laughs> Looney Tunes super fandom. Um, <laughs> but All right. uh, it's, a it's few not required. Are. Yeah. A few are. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, uh, I really came into the movie excited as a, a fan of, uh, Joe Dante because, yes. um, this was, yeah, well, well, this is, this is a, this was, was a perfect marriage of material and director because, you know, there might not have been a bigger Looney Tunes fanatic in Hollywood than Joe Dante, you know, like his, uh, if you've ever seen his, segment from the twilight zone movie that's like pretty much like a a, a really long live action cartoon yes. um and uh, of course uh, chuck jones is in gremlins he chuck jones directed a um, animated segment for gremlins 2 at the very beginning uh, i think that, that's, and Daffy. Yeah. yeah that's right and uh the uh the the, the middle school in joe dante's movie explorers is named charles m jones middle school oh very nice uh yeah it's a, so you know and and i believe before he made back in action he was working on a biopic called termite terrace which was about that sort of golden era of you know chuck jones and warner brothers animation and looney tunes and sort of the creation of looney tunes uh that movie did not get made uh but i guess it you know caused warner brothers to say hey we we're doing you know, uh, a, a Looney, another Looney Tunes movie. Maybe we should get this guy to direct it. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I went to go see the movie in uh, in theaters in 2003. I was uh, I, I was the, the one person who did that. Uh, <laughs> well, I was there uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, 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 they sold at least two tickets, this movie. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and <laughs> It was it was an interesting you know thing because it, it was uh, I remember being sort of mezzo mezzo about it at the time because it, it uh, you know some aspects of it definitely it felt a little stale felt a little uh, like they were like you know like it was a too many cooks yes situation which which it was mm. uh, you know uh, and uh, you know but I but I still remember like there being like so many great sequences in it which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but I, I mean, I, sort of leading the build up to it, you know, I remember reading that, you know, it was a troubled shoot. Brendan Fraser wanted to leave. He wanted to quit the film. I think, I think probably Joe Dante probably wanted to quit at some point too. And, uh, yeah. And then Warner brothers kind of didn't know what to do with it. And it, and it, and it, it it didn't test well. I remember that it did. It, there there were test screening reports that came out that said it 
was not doing well um, with audiences. And, uh, um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the big problem was is I think the studio just didn't know what they had. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I, I can't remember what the commercial was for. I think it was like, like a tie in with like AOL or something, but like, I remember Brendan Fraser did a commercial tie-in for the movie, like as Brendan Fraser. And he was like, it was like him, like watching Looney Tunes with his son. And it was like a bonding moment with his son or something. And I was just like, this is, this is like a Disney thing. This is not Looney Tunes. Hey, wait, look, it's my new movie. Did that hurt? No, it's just a cartoon. Like, Looney Tunes awesome. aren't cute and cuddly. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, like Looney Tunes are, are about anarchy and, you know, craziness. Right. And I think it's important for people to remember, like, this was the sort of waning days of, you know, traditional 2D animation. Um, you know, it was about the time, I, I, I think this was around the time when Disney stopped making 2D. Um, you know, it, it was all about Pixar and DreamWorks and, you know, that was the thing now. Yeah, this was early and... 2000s and a lot of it was transitioning into 3D modeling and using, you know, uh, the new technology to advocate for kids going to the theaters again because you could see 2D at home on Cartoon Network, but you could only see 3D in theaters. And exactly, yeah, and not using that uh, as as much as other movies in the in the era were like Shrek and everything. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and it, it it's funny too because like I mean, like the you know, in this movie's kind of wore it like a badge of honor. Like they even included like sort of sort of uh, uh, p- pencil tests mm-hmm. in the in the end credits of the film. Yeah, they did uh, just to just to show people like, look, this there were no computers. Like this was done by hand. Like this is. This is a real deal 2D animated movie. And of course, like, you know, you know, in this day and age, like they probably would, even if it was 2D, use a lot more computer assists and a lot more like, you know, a lot more of it would be done digitally. So this was like the last gasp of that type of, of animation. And uh, yeah. and the animation's really good in the movie. It too. is. It is. I, I would say the last gasp of it was from Princess and the Frog. That was the last push. But uh, right, but but and, and but even that movie when that movie came out, it it it, it was sort of an outlier because I think it, when that had come out, it had already been several years since Disney had made a movie like that. Like they kind of did it like almost as like a, like a throwback. At that I point. see what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, you know, they they were going for something, and uh, you know that movie that movie is beautiful as well. And yeah. I love the the two D techniques and and everything, and I'm really glad yeah. that we have that one last hurrah for Looney Tunes in in that uh, respect. But I, it's really sad. It's it's really sad too because I, I remember being, I was at a uh, like a, a Pixar junket for um, Incredibles two hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, and I got to sit down with Brad Bird and. You know, Brad Bird, you know, he's he's a legacy animator and that, you know, he was trained by, you know, some of the nine old men from Disney, you know, like he, he was sort of the next, you know, generation, you know, and, and one of the last generations to be, you know, sort of, you know, indoctrinated in 2D animation. And I asked him, like, is, is, is there a lineage? <laughs> like, is, 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 are you passing down what, you, you know, sort of what sure. you learned or is it all just going to be 3D? And he's like, no, it's just all 3D now. Yeah. Well, that's the way yeah. of the future, and we just have to abide by it. 
and there's going to be some good things that come along uh, that will harken back to the 2D era, I'm sure. But yeah. let's let's dive into Looney Tunes back in action, and uh, we'll do that with a little bit of news. Uh, we had in the recent weeks a very cool look at a behind-the-scenes pencil test that was conducted by Eric Goldberg and Susan Goldberg. Um, they were consultants on this, and yeah, we believe it's Greg Burson doing the voices of of Bugs and Daffy here, and it just it looks phenomenal. It's about Daffy getting a coke and uh, playing a prank on one of the Hollywood executives at Warner Brothers, and um, it doesn't go quite well <laughs> for Daffy. But I thought that this test showed the possibility of blending those 3D characters, you know, 2D characters, but in a 3D world with the the live action elements. And I thought it worked really well. So I'm really glad that we got to see this behind the scenes look, which has never been released before. Yeah, yeah. It even included uh, uh, one of the Stanton twins. I can't tell you which one. Because uh, <laughs> they are as, so as, identical. As, <laughs> yeah, as one of the Warner Brothers, you know, getting splashed with uh, soda. Um, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's interesting, too, that, uh, um, you know, that this movie was uh, shot by Dean Coondy who also uh, was uh, Robert Zemeckis's DP on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. So, um, so he was he was another kind of you know uh, like like this was old hat for him at that point. Um, although from what I've read, like this this was much less of a nightmare uh, to 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 integrate with the live action um, than the experience on uh, Roger Rabbit, which was you know it's it's difficult to believe, but like. I, I, up until it came out, when we were, everybody expected Roger Rabbit to be like another Howard the Duck, like they were just like this movie's a disaster, like it didn't test well at all, and you know, but the, but I guess the you know the difference between that movie and this movie is on that one, you know, Steven Spielberg was the producer, and you know Spielberg is known for protecting his directors, and um, you know. Uh, you know, Joe Dante actually had done several films with Spielberg as well, but unfortunately, this wasn't one of them, and right. he he got uh, you know he he got he got really uh, uh, messed with uh, yeah. by, by the brass at uh, at the studio. Yeah, creatively, it was frustrating for him, but yeah, I think what we got was something that has really inspired moments, and those moments are what make this worth watching and revisiting. Uh, upon, you know, many years later. I mean, this this movie is almost twenty years old, as you were saying before we started, and I, I can't believe it's that old. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny too, because like, I mean, uh, I I sort of came into the movie with the same attitude that Joe Dante came into making it, which is he wanted it to be the anti Space Jam, right? Uh, and that that's his quote. And uh, I mean, um, I I don't know how old you are. I'm I'm in my late. 30s so uh when space jam came out like you know it was just not aimed at me like i i did not for me like the idea of combining looney tunes with basketball you know you, you might as well have looney tunes characters reading prepared statements on c-span that's how much <laughs> i did not care for that movie i totally get that i get that sensibility and uh i'm glad that we have this and this is kind of like a mutual ground <laughs> for both mm -hmm. of us to to mm -hmm. celebrate these characters and uh, and yeah let's um, 
let's talk about the pros and the, the history of Looney Tunes back in action. Somewhere in the dark underworld, there is a plan. A plan to rule mankind. Now, the world's most elite organization must step forward to search the globe for evil, scour the continents for danger, and what they discover will turn the world upside down. Tunes back in action. A rabbit, a duck, a girl, a boy. You, you, you him, her, them. And the evil head of the Acme Corporation who's determined to take over the world. We must capture this son of a spy. And we must locate the diamond and use its powers for our own diabolical ends. Directed by Joe Dante, written by Larry Doyle, and starring Joe Alasky as Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Billy West as Elmer Fudd, Bob Bergen as Porky, June Foray as Granny, Jeff Bennett as Yosemite Sam and Foghorn Leghorn, and Eric Goldberg as Tweety and Marvin the Martian. We also have really fun cameos uh, throughout the film, which are delightful, and we'll get into those. Um, but one of those for me is during this scene where Bugs is talking to Jenna Elfman as uh, Kate Potton, um, she is telling him that they need to get Daffy back. So in this cafe, there's Matthew Lillard having a conversation with Shaggy, voiced by Casey Kasem, and Scooby. I mean, it's just... What kind of performance do you call that? You made me sound like a total space cadet, man. I'm sorry if you're the way. I was, just, I was trying to be real to your character. If you like goof on me in the sequel, I'm coming after you. Yeah, and I'll give you a Scooby smile. It's, it's a really fun scene, and you have a lot of really fun and rare Looney Tunes uh, interacting in the background, such as Ralph Wolf and the, uh, the Sheepdog, and Michigan J. Frog is back there. Answer, we team you up with a hot female co-star. Usually... I play the female love interest. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, About the cross-dressing thing in the past. Funny. Today. Disturbed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, scenes like this are what make this film so enjoyable for me. What stands out to you as one of the highlights, one of the highlights of the film? Well, I think there, you know, there are several highlights. I mean... You know, I think that the you know the opening of the film is really. I think the first like fifteen minutes of the film are gang are gangbusters. Like they just like play so well. Like and there's so many fun in jokes. Like the Lethal Weapon babies and yes. <laughs> there's a Batman movie being directed by Roger Corman. So good. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know the the Area Fifty Two sequence, obviously with all the the science fiction characters. I mean, we should definitely get into like just like all the references in there, but. Uh, these, these, if you, if you want to go the standout sequence, um, I know I'm not alone in this, it's, it's the Louvre sequence. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, this is surreal. The chase through the Louvre in France as they go through different paintings. Yes. It's just a so 
like just visually, you know, and then and the humor of it and the, the way it's shot, just everything is firing on all cylinders. Like I just wish like the whole movie could have, you know, been at that level. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and and it, it it's it's especially hilarious to me too rewatching it cuz I I think at at the time when it came out, like, you know, I I hadn't been anywhere, but like, you know, now I've been all over the world and I've been to the Louvre. <laughs> And it's just funny to me that the, the Mona Lisa is just like there. It's just hanging <laughs> on a wall, you know, like, it, and, and nobody is near it. Like, it's just Brendan Fraser and Jenna Elfman just, you know, in front of the Mona Lisa. In, in real life, if you've never been to the Louvre, I've never like, been. There's, it, it's, it, there's just, there's a room that has the Mona Lisa, and it's just a throng of people. You know, it's like a U2 concert, it's that many people. <laughs> in front of it and it's you know it's behind like layers of bulletproof glass and the everybody is taking selfies in front of it like you know yeah so it, that was like that really made me laugh just seeing <laughs> the louvre represented as like this this empty museum that's um, hilarious yeah and uh yeah but but no but like you know like when they, they get into the uh you know yeah like all, all the paintings and you know the like the scream uh, the scream is by um monk edvard monk Yes, you're correct. And um, and and the uh, the Salvador Dali. Yes, the time joke yeah. <laughs> with the gun. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, no, yeah, that, like that. That and even even like um, some of the live action stuff around it, like like in the in the establishing shot of the museum, that you, there's you can see like all the school all the schoolgirls from Madeline. Right. Yes, <laughs> from the book Madeline line <laughs> up, and there's there's a there's a Jerry Lewis movie poster. Uh, Pepe Le Pew makes a little cameo as a a Jardin in front of the the museum. Um, yes, that's uh, perfectly placed. Uh, yeah, part for uh, Pepe to to jump around in, and uh, yeah, I love the Madeline visual reference. And yeah, you're right. Like it's it's not only just the the animation that's working; it's the live action components around it, and it really has a sense of momentum that you don't feel in a lot of the other moments. Although I really like that chase in Las Vegas that happens uh, between the two cars of Yosemite Sam and uh, Daffy and Bugs and and uh, DJ and Kate. But um, but yeah, like definitely here there, there's a lot of really great comedy alongside the the fast paced of uh, the chase that's uh, happening. Yeah. And it's very true to the spirit of Looney Tunes, which is, you know, the, the great thing about the, those original cartoons is it was, you know, it was, it was high humor and it was low humor, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, you, they, they could, you know, Chuck Jones could do a whole cartoon, you, you know, parodying opera. Yeah. And, you know, but they could also do, you know, parodies of, you know, whatever movies were out then, Humphrey Bogart or whatever, you know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I also, I love that, you know, Dante was not afraid to, you know, dive into the well of sort of deep vault characters. Like you have Cottontail Smith from Super Rabbit, which you covered in a in a previous episode. You get Owl Jolson popping up, I think, three times. 
Um, that's my fa- that's my favorite. I think I think that's my favorite uh, Warner, old school Warner Brothers cartoon. I love to sing. Uh, oh yes, that's my uh, yeah. Whenever uh, the head of Acme Corporation, uh, played by Steve Martin, is changing the channels and trying to find all the components to to get the feed to come in, he gets that. <laughs> gets that yeah, and they they even have freaking Peter Lorre. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Peter Lorre cartoon in this movie, <laughs> which is crazy. And just to get back to the Area 52. Like there's there's so many like I, like I know are you a big uh, B movie sci-fi fan? Oh look! So uh, this is Area 51, right? No. The secret military base? No. Where they keep the aliens? No. Area 51 is actually a paranoid fantasy we concocted to hide the true identity of this facility. Which is? Area 52. I could be bigger on that <laughs> but i do enjoy what i've seen and yeah. i do know that uh a bit of trivia here is that steve martin wouldn't do this movie if a dalek was not in that scene <laughs> and warner brothers so absolutely uh obliged that command and uh, they, they delivered in spades on the dalek yes uh yeah, and there's also, I, I believe, the plants from Day of the Triffids are in there. Mm-hmm. The uh, the monkey wearing the diving bell from Robot Monster. Um, Kevin McCarthy, who's has been in previous Joe Dante movies, uh, plays the character plays his character from Invasion of the Body Snatchers in Black and White. Yes. Even though everything that. around him is in color. <laughs> and Peter and Peter Graves is narrating uh, some of the uh, the mission log. In that scene. That's right. Yeah. And uh, this is the, his live, his last live action role. It's funny because he had a sim, a very similar role the previous year in Men in Black Two. Where oh. It was the same thing. Like he was, you know, in a video, you know, delivering exposition to the main characters. But yeah, and there's the, the Metal Luna Mutant from This Island Earth is in there. There's uh, the Man from Planet X, which is a great creepy. Uh, uh, sort of sort of sci-fi horror movie. Uh, he he's got this. He's a sort of creepy looking alien in a, a a bubble dome, and in this movie, Bugs pops popcorn into the oh, okay. bubble yeah, dome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's the crawling brain from Fiend Without a Face. Um, and uh, uh, Joan Cusack makes they don't see them, but she makes reference to the ants from them. Oh, nice. Yeah, which if you if you've never seen that movie, it's, it's a great you know fifty sci fi thing about giant ants, and it is uh, the movie that uh, Paul Rudd uh, is watching at the end of uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. Very cool, very cool trivia there, and I will definitely be going back and checking out some of these B movies from the fifties that I have not yet seen that sound just bonkers and delightful. They are, yeah. I mean, that's, and now that's, next time I watch it, I'll recognize them. That's definitely, you know, that's Dante's oeuvre. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. he runs, he runs the site Trailers from Hell, where he, you know, highlights a lot of. Those films, you know, in a lot of cases, the, the, the trailers come from his personal collection. Um, and also, like, in, in the, you know, the Acme Corporation scenes uh, in, with Steve Martin, you know, his, uh, the, the, all the Acme VPs are just a, a murderer's row of uh, great character actors. Uh, you know, you got Ron Perlman, uh, Leo Rossi, Mary Warnoff, Robert Picardo, Vernon Wells, Mark Lawrence. yeah. And uh, and Steve Martin, no slouch in this movie. No, uh, no, he's he's bringing this. He's he's, he's <laughs> swinging for the fences. Um, I I I I, I kind of realized while I was watching. I think do do you know the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Steve Martin? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I do you remember 
the when he's sort of when Steve Martin is sort of pretending to be like the uh the, the mentally uh challenged, challenged guy yeah, yeah. With, uh, with the eye patch with the eye patch I feel yes. like he's kind of doing that character here okay fascinating I think I, I think there's an element of that character in, in this performance for sure yeah definitely that, that same like that that little that look to his voice you know like just yes. the way he he uh <laughs> <laughs> cavorts and he, he is like a you know he is almost like a live action cartoon character i think that's what he was going for i think it was a combination of that mixed with his character the dentist character from little shop of horrors which would also equate to that b-movie pool for joe dante when i was younger just compared to the kid my mama noticed funny things I did Like shooting puppies with a BB gun I'd poison guppies And when I was done I'd find a pussycat bashing its head And I really love that Ron Perlman is here He's definitely a standout And I love that Taz eats him <laughs> <laughs> Really fun uh, way to go out My favorite part of that Acme panel Is the older gentleman on the far right Who asks about the desert operative. <laughs> the jammer. Yes, Dad. Desert operative. Uh, uh, not a bad idea, Dad. Uh, Our desert operative is due for a win. Who is yeah. widely that's Mark, that's Mark Lawrence. That's Mark Lawrence? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. He's, he, he, was, he's, he literally had been doing movies since the 30s. Like, he's in the frickin' Oxbow incident. Like he's, wow, he's 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 in, he he was he, he he was a villain in a James Bond movie. Like you know, he'd been around for a long, long time. So I love the fact that it's this older gentleman who is saying bring in the desert operative because my grandfather loved Wiley e. Coyote, and this guy looks like my grandfather, and I just I ate that up, and I was just kind of emotional around uh, that scene for that reason. Oh, but, that's cool. Yeah, so a little personal touch there. Did you and, did you, uh, did you used to watch uh, Looney Tunes with your grandfather? I did. I did. Uh, we really enjoyed all of the Wiley e. Coyote cartoons specifically because he would laugh endlessly at them, and I would I would be in, in step with that um, because yeah. you know how can you not like the genius of creating this uh <laughs> coyote who's trying to get his food and the roadrunner will always outsmart him but uh gravity will always play a factor yeah and that that is a great sequence even though it only lasts about i don't know a minute uh yes the, the, with just, the missile just, yeah just the surreal nature of seeing wily coyote kind of brought to life in live action is is amazing yeah, I, I love the, uh, the whenever it says, do you want it gift wrapped? <laughs> yeah, he just, he just he just is delighted that he can get that bow on it. <laughs> yeah, where are those drones, though? Like, there, there's got to be some kind of heavy mechanism dropping that big box on him. Like, where was that in 2003? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, that, that, that's going to be old hat soon. That's uh, true. With, all the, with the, the Amazon drones. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm sure at least uh, someone in our family is gonna get killed by a <laughs> falling package. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. But uh, speaking of old references, we also have to highlight Bugs Bunny doing a parody of Psycho.
cartoons are for everybody, but the parodies pull from these classics, and you just, even if you don't know the classics, the joke is still funny. And Bugs... Doesn't anyone knock anymore? Parodying the psycho scene is phenomenal with Jenna Elfman, and it... I think it's timed perfectly and Jenna Elfman, she has a fourth wall break where she looks at the camera like, seriously, this is going on still. And they even have the Hershey syrup going or Hershey's powder going down the drain. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really top, uh, top notch parody. And that's what I respect about the Looney Tunes and this movie and what it pulls from to put into it, to, to give to a new generation. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting thing that you know, in terms of like the references that the movie makes, because it's like it's all over the place. You know, there's you know yeah. there there there's some contemporary references like Batman, Star Wars, and you know, and th- and, and uh, NASCAR. And, you know, there's even a little cameo from Michael Jordan, um, <laughs> which I think is reused footage. That's not new footage. Oh, okay. They just reused it from uh, Space Jam. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's all fair game, but it's like, then, but then you, you also have, you know, like we discussed, like all these like very like deep cut sci-fi references and, or, or the, you know, the Peter, you know, having Peter Laurie or having Psycho, you know, like, yeah, I, I know people who watched Bates Motel who had never seen Psycho, like, <laughs> yeah, and, and, because and, uh, it was a different time like you you have a tv show and the tv show can really captivate an audience and then they don't know the the lore of everything so yeah, yeah. I, I totally get that and i'm even even the spy even the, even the spy stuff that like you know having yeah. timothy dalton playing a spy like he hadn't been james bond for seven years mm-hmm. at that point like he like no but no kid in the audience would have been like oh that's james bond right <laughs> which is really which is really great casting but also yeah you're right like you don't you don't necessarily need to bring in all of that knowledge into an enjoyment of a parody of it or a send-up of it and i think that's a highlight and, and a strength of what joe dante was bringing to this because you don't just cast you don't just cast timothy dalton in the throwaway role like you have him bring a lot of his essence to that character and he does and he's i feel like even though there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of like studio meddling in this film, the cast always feels like they're present and they're bringing something new to it. Like, I don't feel like anybody is just uh, on autopilot, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Timothy Dalton, like, you know, just relished, you know, getting to kind of, you know, parody his image because you know, the, the the people who remember the two movies that he did as Bond, like, he was kind of a proto Daniel Craig, and that, like, he, you know, he didn't crack a lot of jokes, he was pretty stern, he was pretty grim, um, mm. and so, like, you know, here he gets to, you know, show, you know, he's a good sport, you know, he's, he's, he's happy to, you know, parody that image, and, uh, yeah, and, and Brendan Fraser's is very game, you know, he spent <laughs> the majority of his career acting against things that aren't there so you know he's pretty expert at that yeah you know and that that is that, that is not a skill you know that that every actor has and uh, and he's you know he's a great straight man you know he's he he, like he he's funny but he's you know he's a really great straight man and you know i think the original conception of this movie it was originally supposed to be a movie called spy jam and mm-hmm. it was going to With have jackie chan 
and it's gonna have Jackie Chan and, <laughs> and just just thinking about that it just sounds awful because it's like you know uh, the reason Brendan Fraser works is because he's a good straight man but like Jackie Chan is not a straight man Jackie Chan is you know a live action cartoon so it would you know it would be kind of like you know the like the Marx Brothers movie at the circus you know it's like oh we've got these crazy characters let's put them in a crazy environment no it doesn't work <laughs> you I need see. to put them yeah. in an opera or you need to put them in a you know in, in, in a foreign dictatorship or something where they can play off of it the right. craziness juxtapose it yeah with the serious tone yeah yeah like like when bob hoskins did you know who framed roger rabbit like he was known as this freaking intense angry british thesp he, he he'd never been in a big blockbuster before like you know they're known for playing really intense angry characters and he was the perfect person to cast in that movie because he's he grounded it right yeah perfectly so and yeah, yeah brendan fraser is is perfectly cast in this and he's endlessly enjoyable to watch uh whether he's playing off of bugs daffy yosemite sam like it doesn't matter like you always get a sense of like he's talking to the, the cartoon that he's talking to like the character is always number one and he feels that he has to sell that and i feel like it's never a false note and while watching it i was like if they made something like this today i think chris pratt could do that pretty well oh that, that you're right back in the I day it's definitely good. um brendan fraser continuing on the highlights we talked about the area 52 scene the psycho scene there's a really great well let, let's just talk about the <laughs> Chekhov's gun with Daffy's beak because they they set this up nicely and this wasn't in the original concept of the, the film and what they started out doing I don't believe uh, but they did have Daffy as the hero and then Daffy couldn't have that movie uh, be made and uh, if you watch the bonus features like you can see these really fun animatics of like superhero Daffy where he's like Superman but Batman mixed and it's just, it's phenomenal animation. get is the classic duck season wabbit season at the beginning with elmer Quiet. 
I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> I'm a duck, bent on self-preservation And we just get a barrage of Daffy's feet g getting blown off in a bunch of different funny ways. Duck feet on fire! Fire! And then he's upset and he's pissed off about it. And so he <laughs> refuses to cooperate and basically he gets fired. And then at the end, we have Daffy's bill be the thing that save humanity. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I love how they had this concept come about where this thing that you don't really see often portrayed a lot in media or even in the cartoons itself, like it's just a gag, it's just there. It's just on his face. <laughs> and uh, they have that be the thing that he's actually qualified to, to you know, be a superhero about. Um, so I really love that idea and how it's executed here. Was there anything in this film that surprised you like that? Um, obviously you, you brought up the Star Wars references. Like whenever that happened, I remember mm -hmm. that moment in, specifically in theaters and I was like, oh wow, they're parroting something that's not a Warner Brothers property. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, th there's a lot of, it's it's literally a gag a minute, you know, gag a second, whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, great jokes. I actually found myself, uh, the, the one I found myself actually laughing out loud at, um, Stinger, at the very, very end of the movie, uh, which is just like a, a totally, uh, you know, out of place, uh, see, it's probably, it was probably a cut scene that they just, they just, they just like, oh, let's shove it at the end, uh, where, uh, uh, I guess Daffy is getting chased, uh, through the Las Vegas casino by Cottontail Smith and, uh, another guy, another henchman, and he pulls on a, a lever on a, uh, slot mm -hmm. machine and it, and it, and it comes three cherries and then the cherries become cherry bombs and then they blow up. Oh, nice. And it, it, yeah. And it, did you, did you, did you get Is to this watch at the that very scene? end of the movie? It's, yes, it's after the credits. Oh, no. I don't think I've ever seen this. <laughs> oh, you never stuck around, man. You gotta stick around. Yeah, like that, for, for, I don't know what, it just made me like laugh my ass off because it was, it was just so, it's so, I think it's, I think it is partly the fact that it's just separated from the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so you can just kind of see the level of lunacy mm -hmm. that's in like almost every frame of the film, but just isolated. And it, yeah, it's that that was a great moment. I also I love the fact that um, they used uh, two songs from uh, Junior Senior. Um, oh, who's is that? A, a great. They're they're a great group, and they uh, they did the uh, the the Shake Your Coconuts song that they played in credits. Okay. They also did the uh, the song. One of their songs also plays at when they first arrive, Las okay. Vegas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, uh, uh, I think I think it's that song. Everybody, move your feet until united, which they later uh, reused in uh, Trolls. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, but they they were an interesting little little duo 
group. I, they were from some European country. I forget. <laughs> but the, I, I, I remember hearing their music in this movie at the time. And then I went and bought their albums. And yeah, they're fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Actually, on the rewatch, I was like, oh, this isn't bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and also on the way to Vegas, Bugs gets to play and sing an Elvis song. Uh, which is which is just delightful for me because I love Elvis and Bugs Bunny, so having that together is really fun. Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those flakes up higher. That's the kind of thing you can only you can only do uh, on a, a eighty million dollar movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You gotta have those copyright rights uh, bought. But uh, but yeah, no. Uh, I, I, it, it always it always like it, you know it's it's always fun to think about like you know whenever you you hear people playing like a really popular song like a Frank Sinatra or the Beatles or something you like you know oh they paid through the nose for that right <laughs> uh, I remember I remember watching uh, the 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 Minions movie did you see the minions movie uh i did not okay so the, the minions movie takes place in the 60s okay um, and and it has a lot of needle drops from you know you know 60s pop and uh but I, but i remember at the end they, they had beatles playing over the end credits and i was like you paid for a beatles song to play over the end credits you have too much money <laughs> <laughs> well they do um, so yes, let's, uh, <laughs> let's try to take some of that money from them and give it to more Looney Tunes projects. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, weren't, weren't they going to make, uh, an Acme movie with Steve Carell a few years ago? There have been so many projects that have been put on the, I guess the, the fast track and then ultimately, ultimately like thrown off that it's hard to keep up with. That might have been one. I know there's definitely a Acme movie with Wiley e. Coyote in the works where it's Wiley e. Coyote suing Acme. Um, that sounds a lot of fun. <laughs> I have no idea what it's going to be. Is it going to be like a courtroom drama? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I'm excited to see whatever they come up with because these characters are endlessly watchable for me. And I love what they're, they're doing currently uh, under Sam Register. He's the Warner executive over there for animation. And he has these wonderful shorts coming out on HBO Max that are just in the vein of the classic era. Everything that they're doing over there is just really fun. And it really harkens back to that nostalgia feeling you have of watching classic shorts, but also just on a, on a comedic level, like they're really funny. And, you know, Pete Browngard's over there doing the show running and he's just doing a phenomenal job of keeping everything fun and light and quick paced. And he knows these characters and that's what matters. As long as you have the characters intact, which Joe Dante definitely had a good sense of in these films. And that was the, that was the main thing that he was trying to do with the end product was making sure that the characters stayed intact. Whereas he felt a lot of pushback from the studio to get yeah. them to be different and uh, more progressive or, or more modern in some way, but um, but I, I think yeah. I think it's a good mix uh, that we got. And uh, as you said, like there's there's even parodies of you know uh, more recent things um, like Star Wars, but it's it's not overbearing and it doesn't feel out of place, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it, yeah, and you're right, and they definitely do like they they have fun with you know the fact that 
they have to be politically correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the you know they have uh, uh Pep, not Pepe Le Pew, um, Speedy Gonzalez and Porky Pig and and, and Porky Pig <laughs> lamenting it. that that they're uh you know that that they're not politically correct anymore that they're stereotypes. At first they told me to lose the stutter. Now they told me I'm not funny. It's a pain in the butt being politically correct. You're telling me. It's so funny too because it's like you know from. All my, from what I understand, I mean, I think even Guillermo del Toro has said this, like, you know, like, you know, ev- every country except uh, Mexico thinks Speedy Gonzalez is offensive. Yeah. And, you know, in Mexico, they love him. Well. And, uh, and you know, and it, but, it, but it's that he, he managed to shoehorn them in and they, they have the whole thing about the dynamite, you know, like, oh, we can't throw it out the window. That'll be bad for children. <laughs> blow themselves up right yeah i mean i mean what what it really comes down to is the film stayed true to the characters and i i feel like yeah that is probably what made the film so difficult for joe dante because he probably faced so many people on a daily basis you know you know telling me you know like why can't bugs bunny rap you know why can't you know i i'll tell you a story from another film that sort of exemplifies exactly what the problem is you know and, and why this film feels you know so special i was on the set of the first smurfs movie okay. that was made yeah. about uh, 10 years ago um and uh, i was interviewing the producer mm-hmm. and he was going on and on and on about how uh, uh, you know we're 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 going to be true to the legacy of Peo and his characters and the charm and the you know the innocence and you know we're, we're you know we're we're going to be really true to the characters. We're not going to try to modernize them or anything like that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm glad that you know you're you were you know sticking to your guns and you know and all that. Like, what did you? And I asked the producer, what did you do when? like an executive would say, oh, I think the Smurf should rap or I think the Smurf should ride on a skateboard. And he said, oh, you know, we push back, you know, we push back on all those kind of ideas. Although I'll tell you, there is one scene in the movie where the Smurfs rap and there is, it's, it's, it's very tasteful, but there is a scene where they're on a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's that is the process of making a, a, a children's movie in a nutshell. It's like it's it's very hard to defend, um, you know, these properties from the people who just want to homogenize them or, you know, uh, or, or do whatever is trending or whatever. Yeah. I, it, it, obviously, it comes down to context and it comes down to execution on some of those ideas. Um, I think that just inherently the, as long as you have the characters remain their characters, they could do whatever they want to do. You have, obviously Smurfs are very one note, if you will, uh, to their archetypes and what they represent, but obviously they wanted to embolden them in uh, a modern context. And, you know, that, that, that may or may not have worked for some people. (laughs) 
But, you know, I think... I, you know, emboldened, I love that. You should be a, a, a PR rep. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I think... I, I, just thought it was, I just thought it was hilarious that he, like, spent, like, 10 minutes, like, trying to talk about how, like, how they're staying true to the... And they're like, oh, but they are, they are going to skateboard and they are going to rap. Right, right. <laughs> It's pretty funny. It's insane. He faced a lot of, Dante faced a lot of, you know, pushback. I mean, it's my my understanding that like the, the, you know, from your talk with uh, Dave Alvarez, who did the comic book adaptation, that there were, he said that there were five completely different scripts. Yes. And there's always going to be a lot of different interpretations that are put forth with these characters because they're so cherished, because they've been around so long and because so many people feel connected to them that they feel, oh, I have the right voice for this, you know? So that's that's always gonna happen. But uh, yeah, if you wanna listen to that Dave Alvarez episode, it's under uh, Super Rabbit. And uh, it's a wonderful little conversation we had about the comic that he did for the tie-in video game, um, which, uh, which actually we should transition to now because there's a new character in that game with Conqueror Taz and he's just, wreaking havoc all over the place and it's really fun he is an epic character and he has the role of a defender his theme is imperial and he lives in the the desert region his design story reads as follows no empire is content with its size and no territory expands without troops to push its borders enter conquer taz high general of the dual monarchy of king bugs and king daffy and hyper aggressive tank with 100% turn meter on turn one and zero tolerance for turn meter reduction or speed down, this invader brings the heat early and hard, blasting through impediments. He also steals buffs on contact as those are the spoils of war. So he sounds like a really fun character. He has a really fun design where he's eating grapes, <laughs> wearing a general hat. It's just, it's wacky, yeah. but I love it. I weird I, I, I really don't play uh, video games. Family, career, video games, pick two. (laughs) That's fair. This is actually a mobile game, and uh, it's basically one of those farming ones where it's like you just let the characters go on and you pick it up whenever you feel like it. It's so it's, it's funny because like the, the those are like uh, those are those are probably becoming casualties of uh, COVID right now, right? Because like those are generally played by commuters and things like that, right? Well, I I think the thing that is setting this one apart is the sense of community around it, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fans of obviously these characters and what they're doing with it. But yeah, on a, on a whole, I think they are a casualty because there's not a lot of downtime and people don't have that that. Uh, sense of oh I I can actually pick up a new thing right now and that being a game <laughs> um, but yeah I you know for I guess for the uh, the ones that have the time uh, they might be taking on a bit more of like the uh, the Call of Duties or like the the console games that actually take up a lot of time mm-hmm. he has a fun a skill set and a few of those read off as uh, pillage Vanguard Vortex Inexhortable darken the sky, ravage the countryside, and hasty. So he's a fun character to get, and I recently unlocked him in the game. And you can do the same if you download Looney Tunes World of Mayhem on all Apple devices and wherever you play uh, mobile games, Google Play has it as well. Uh, so that's a fun one. But, uh, but yeah, a really fun trivia that I found out about 
Looney Tunes back in action relating to Taz specifically is that Brendan Fraser did the voice of Taz in the movie. And prior to that, it was voiced by a bunch of different other people. And Joe Dante just liked Brendan's interpretation of what Taz would sound like so much that he was like, yeah, you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's really nice to see that Brendan is a, a big fan of these characters. And I think that's why you know, that's why anybody signs on to a Looney Tunes movie is sure. because you're a big fan of these characters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, I did an interview with Eric Goldberg, the animation director of this movie. Um, yes. And uh, the, the interview was for the work he did on Moana. Um, so he couldn't talk uh, a ton about Looney Tunes, but I, I, I never published this, but I have a little quick quote from, Ooh, from him tell. about uh, his time working on it. He said, uh, Zarek Goldberg, he said, I loved working with Joe. He and I both have a huge appreciation for the Warner's cartoons, and hopefully that shows in the final product. That's like working with old friends, working with characters who we grew up with. That's always fun, and I had a great crew working on it. So it's the kind of thing where it was challenging, it was pressurized, and we had a million different producers, none of whom could agree on what the content of the film should be. But the actual creation of the animation itself, that was fun. And I know that Joe enjoyed it as well. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a, such yeah, a good it's, quote. Yeah. It, it and you can of, definitely tell that that comes from the heart. Like That comes from a fan. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, and, and you know, that, you know, Goldberg was a, you know, he was a big part of, you know, even when he came to, like, Eric Goldberg uh, studied under uh, Richard Williams, who did the animation for Roger Rabbit. And, uh, um, yeah, and and, and uh, then he went over to Disney. And, the, you know, the thing that really made Eric Goldberg's career take off is he did the animation of the genie in Aladdin. And at the time, that was a huge deal because, you know, everybody who saw the film said that Eric Goldberg was bringing a Warner Brothers Looney Tunes sensibility to Disney movies. And uh, yeah, so it, it felt only natural that, you know, he would eventually, you know, uh, do a full on Looney Tunes movie. Um, but yeah, but in, in terms of what he's talking about, about, you know, the too many cooks thing, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I mean, I mean, can you, it's hard enough to do, you know, a, a movie like this where you're integrating live action with animation, where you have to shoot every scene three, t- three different times. You know, you have to do a pass with, you know, people in costumes or, or little stuffed animals, you know, in the place where the cartoons are going to be. And then you then you do a clean pass with just the actors and then you do a pass with nothing. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> then can you imagine shooting like five different scripts oh, on yeah. top of that? And, and it was all done in like within like, I think, a year and a half, two year period. So it wasn't like it was a prolonged thing, like it was all done, you know. In, in, in a pressure cooker um so yeah even you know joe dante said that like you know when the movie was almost done the studio had at that point gotten bored with the jokes you mm. know uh you know because they'd seen the film a million times they were like oh we're bored of these jokes now and he's like well the audience is not going to be bored. <laughs> 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 but, but like you know but they insisted on bringing in i think a a a, a punch-up group of about 25 comedians to come in and and literally like you know just lay in new dialogue over existing animation 
Um, oh wow! Yeah, which um, yeah, if you if you've ever heard this, there's a great Pat Oswalt bit about he, he Pat Oswalt actually used to do that. He used to do punch up for animated movies that were almost done. <laughs> so it was it was like a very uh, you know it's a very surreal experience. Like it's like you know I bet it's, wow. it's, it's, sort, it's sort of bass awkward. You know it's like why don't you hire these people at the beginning? You know, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and uh, you know, and and I think, uh, and I, I remember Dante also saying on Dante has a great podcast now uh, called uh, the Movies uh, That Made Me, which he does with Josh Olson, which is very good. I recommend it to everybody out there. Um, but he talked about he talked about uh, how the executive in charge of the film. Uh, had a, 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 a in his office he had a big poster for the uh, the French movie uh, Man Bites Dog, which if you've ever seen it's like this insanely violent nihilistic movie and it's like this was the guy in charge of the Looney Tunes movie. Wow. <laughs> so it's like it was it was you know according to the filmmakers you know it was made by you know the the, the people in charge of getting this movie you know uh, made. And then sold to audiences, you know, really had no idea what it was and no interest in it, <laughs> which is why, you know, which is ultimately, you know, it, it, it's why it's not a masterpiece. It should be a masterpiece. It's not. Right. Um, and it's also why it, it did not, you know, it did not do well and it has this rep as a bomb. But it's not a bad movie. No. And everybody should definitely check it out if you haven't. And I looked, and it's not on HBO Max anymore. They took it off HBO Max, but it's on Hoopla. So if you have the streaming service Hoopla, you're in luck. And if you don't, I bet you it's going to be on HBO Max in the next month and a half. <laughs> so yeah. just wait around, and it'll come back around. It was on Netflix for like a year and a half before HBO Max launched, but... I'm sure HBO Max will reclaim their own. This is a Warner Brothers movie, and it will eventually end up there. Yeah, and I, know, I, I mean, and I, I bought it for, I bought it for like ten bucks off Vudu. Um, I'm sure you know, you know, uh, anybody you you can rent it for like three bucks. It's definitely, you know, if you've never seen it before, it's definitely worth watching. I mean, like I have a daughter now, so I'm sort of like processing like you know what movies i want to show her and not show her and this definitely feels like a movie i feel like she's gonna enjoy you know if not now then definitely like a year or two from now she would definitely oh yeah because it's it's the, the there are a lot of you know as we discussed a lot of in jokes a lot of things that are just going to fly over people's heads but you know it's so antic and it's so like silly and fun that it's it's hard not to like you know whatever age you are Exactly. And that's also reminiscent of those classic 40s cartoons where you had references to celebrities of the time that, you know, kids in the 90s didn't know whenever we were growing up watching those cartoons or in the 80s or whenever you're watching Looney Tunes. Even if you watch them now, there's going to be references you don't get, but you still enjoy cartoons. Yeah, exactly. You can still enjoy this movie and wherever you can download it, find it or stream it definitely rent it and watch it and have a good time with it. And uh, it's a miracle that it even exists <laughs> as is every movie, but yeah. especially this one. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Max, for being on the show today and discussing this beloved classic that one day will find its own 
audience and uh, become a cult classic, hopefully. <laughs> it's my pleasure, Jonathan. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, I am on, on Twitter. I'm just Max Evry, E-V-R-Y. Uh, I think I'm the only one. <laughs> and uh, uh, every day on uh, comingsoon.net. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I'm a big fan of comingsoon.net. I've been reading it my entire life. Mm. So thank you for upholding that mantle and keeping the site going. <laughs> <laughs> we all need movie news. We all need to be entertained. So I, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow the podcast on This Means Pod on Twitter and This Means Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. Thank you again, Mags, for being on the show. And to all those out there, that's not all, folks. Well, Dave, you achieved your goal of being a hero. Yep. But you didn't achieve your goal of getting me back in your stupid movie. Aha! Uh -huh. Cut. That's a wrap. That's it, guys. Remind me to get a new agent, will ya? Go home, folks.